I'm a daughter of a teenage mom. My mom was a teenage single mom, and actually um, I'm from four generations of teenage single moms. That's what my college essay was about. And all too often, I just didn't see people that looked like me or that even had a background like I did in the rooms that I was sitting in. So I thought about how could I create something to help change this so that I'm not an anomaly and that there are more people in rooms that have varied backgrounds um, coming from all different sorts of situations, family lifestyles, first generation, whatever the case might be, that there's room to make sure that they're prepared to succeed at work as well. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey, guys, welcome back to the show. I'm really excited to share with you today's guest because this is an example of someone who really side hustles strategically and successfully and was able to transition to her job and still have her employer keep her on for a little while because they just couldn't let her go. That's what we all want, right? Her name is Angelina Darasaw Cheeks. She is a social entrepreneur, an international business and career coach, and a digital media strategist. As the founder and CEO of C-Suite Coach, a career coaching platform that provides accessible professional development resources to diverse working professionals, Angelina collaborates with employers to create business solutions that empower and educate teams, as well as retain and engage diverse employees. She also facilitates transformative career workshops and experiences that have reached over 4,000 working and aspiring professionals. Angelina's company, C-Suite Coach, has a growing global footprint with companies and individual entrepreneurs across the United States, Israel, Australia, Canada, and more. C-Suite Coach has been featured in numerous media outlets, including Business Insider, Fast Company, Forbes, Essence, and more. Angelina also serves small businesses as a Google digital coach, joining Google in bridging the digital divide by offering free coaching and resources to over 2,500 New York-based diverse small businesses. Prior to founding C-Suite Coach, she was the Senior Manager of Digital Business Development at Viacom, where she developed strategic business opportunities and partnerships with social media platforms like Twitter, Snapchat, Tumblr, and more. On today's episode, you'll learn how Angelina side hustled and transitioned from her full-time role to entrepreneurship. Let's get into it. Welcome to the guest chair, Angelina. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. I just read your amazing bio, but I'd love to know in your own words, you know, walk us through the early days. What did you want to do when you were a kid and what was your original education and career path? Definitely. So it's so funny because I was thinking about the early days last night when the Miss USA pageant was on. I used to compete in pageants. And I think part of that, why I started initially was wanting to do something bigger, wanting to have an opportunity to have a platform in some way to be an advocate for social change. The quick and dirty is I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in Bed-Stuy. I also lived in East Flatbush at some points and commuted almost two hours each way to a private school on the Upper East Side. And that experience was 
really challenging because it was like I was directly walking into two different worlds, one of extreme wealth and one where there just seemed to be a shortage of opportunity, a shortage of access and resources. And being in the place where I was put right in the middle of both, um, I was really motivated and knew that whatever I did in life, I wanted to be able to be a force to help close gaps that shouldn't exist. So that's really where I always had this sort of fundamental passion for thinking about social justice in some way, thinking about closing gaps in some way. After uh, going to the school on the Upper East Side, I went to Davidson College, got a BA in political science with a concentration in international studies. I interned all throughout uh, in media internships, so Bloomberg, ESPN, HBO, really fun, exciting media internships. And when I was graduating, I still didn't know what that big answer was and how I was gonna be a part for advocating for change and what I was gonna do. I was looking for my big why. Um, And so I was like, I'm not ready to enter the workforce yet. I'm gonna keep going to school. I'm an avid student, I love school. So I went straight through to get my master's at Wake Forest in management. And thankfully, it was provided for me on a full scholarship with a fellowship through Haynes Brands. And after that experience, it really gave me the business backing going into the workforce. I'd come from a liberal arts background, so it gave me something else to bring to the table when it came to looking at corporate opportunities getting started. Oh, that's so interesting. So you went straight through and Haynes provided that was it a fellowship for you? Yeah, to- a fellowship for me to have free a free master's. It was That's a great amazing. opportunity. So what was that first job coming out of your master's program? And how long were you there? How did you feel about it? Yeah, so I had actually accepted a job in Winston-Salem, where Wake Forest is located in North Carolina. And I thought, I will just stay here and I'll have a, a nice corner office overlooking downtown Winston. Uh, but then I went home for a weekend and spent time with my brothers. My brother is about 10 years younger than me. And when I left for college, they were babies coming out of grad school. They're like adults with real personalities. And I realized how much I crave being back in New York. So I decided to decline and took a scary risk coming back to New York without a job in a time where it still was very, very difficult to find those. And through networking, through maintaining the relationships I had with all the folks that had managed me during my internships, I was able to land a job by the end of June. So from May to June, about six weeks interviewing in New York almost every day, going out for interviews, I landed a job at ESPN. At first, I wasn't so thrilled about it. Um, Candidly, I felt like I had negotiated, but not hard enough to get the salary that I wanted. Coming out of business school, there were so many folks, um, you know, everyone shares their salary, which can be a great thing, but also a little bit intimidating. Uh, And I knew that I wasn't making what so many of my peers were making. And that felt very frustrating, having a master's degree and starting out in New York where the cost of living was drastically different than North Carolina. So it was a little bit frustrating, but I put my head down. I was focused on making relationships, had coffee with people, every chance I could really shadow assignments, stretch assignments. And within just under a year, I was promoted. And that one promotion gave me an increase that was 150% higher than what I was making. Wow. So that was a really good jump. Um, and that's where I felt like I wasn't able to leverage my master's in the first position, but in the second position, sometimes you, you, know, you build a little bit and you're able to leverage your skill set later. So what role were you in at this point and what work were you doing? 
So I was doing digital business development work, digital strategy work, and that's where the masters did come into play because in my liberal arts degree where I was studying Socrates and (laughs) taking theater (laughs) classes, I did not really have an Excel background, but Excel was a big part of my management work. We had to really focus on that. We had to focus on accounting and financial analyses. So a part of of my work was doing that, doing projections for uh, how our digital investments would do where we would, when we went to different platforms, how quickly would we get to scale on these different platforms and a variety of different kinds of projections. So it definitely came into play there. Uh, But it was also really fun. It was at a time when now, for instance, everyone is watching TV on their phone. That was not the case at all back in early 2009, 2010. So I think to, to be a part of the space at that time where we're figuring out do we put ESPN content or Disney content on an Apple TV? Um, Do we put it on these different devices? What does this mean for our business and our brand Uh, and our relationships with cable subscribers was really exciting. Now, had you ever throughout this whole period thought about entrepreneurship or just going out on your own? No, not at all. I don't think entrepreneurship was the thing. And sometimes we don't have the language for what it is we want. I think it was more just thinking about how do I feel fulfillment in life? How do I help other people? How do I create something where there really isn't a limit on what I'm going to be able to provide for myself? And potentially there could be a possibility to employ other people. I think those sorts of thoughts entered my mind, but it wasn't like I was waking up every day saying, I'm going to quit my job and build a business. Right. <laughs> I, You know, I love that you say that, that sometimes we don't have the language and it's so true. You know, you know, in your gut, you start to feel what you want from your life, but you don't really know what to call it. And then sometimes you see the word entrepreneur and you're like, that's not me because you just keep seeing this one picture of it, you know, which is why I started Side Hustle Pro. But I love the oh, fact yes. that you put that distinction that we experience. So Let's talk about the pivot, though. What did you do to start to nurture those feelings? Yeah. So essentially in my next role, so I got promoted again or a a higher title and a much higher pay at a different company. I moved over to Viacom. And what was happening is I was doing really fun, cool work again, doing deals with Snapchat and Twitter and all the big brands. And some of the deals I was doing were making the trades. It was really exciting. But I found that my office door was swinging open with people that didn't want to know about Snapchat. It was mainly women. It was mainly people of color and LGBT individuals. And the challenges they had were, I'm struggling at work. I don't know how to, I've been in my position too long. I'm not making the money I want to make. I don't know how to get promoted. You're getting promoted. You're getting FaceTime with uh, the C-suite. Like, what's happening? How do I get this? Or how do I deal with all these stresses? And there were just a lot of folks feeling stagnant, feeling like they didn't have resources to get themselves to the next level and eventually feeling really disengaged at work. And it was something that made me feel really sad because (laughs) it was something that naturally I enjoyed. And while it was always uh, this game of politics sometimes at work, I knew how to masterfully weave through that. And I wanted to help other people do that as well. Now, to be clear, I had coaches. I had a lot of access to opportunities. And I think that that's it was a really interesting space to be in. I'm a daughter of a teenage mom. My mom was a teenage single mom. And actually, um, I'm from four generations of teenage single moms. That's what my college essay was about. 
And all too often, I just didn't see people that looked like me or that even had a background like I did in the rooms that I was sitting in. So I thought about how could I create something to help change this so that I'm not an anomaly and that there are more people in rooms that have varied backgrounds um, coming from all different sorts of situations, family lifestyles, first generation, whatever the case might be, that there's room to make sure that they're prepared to succeed as w- at work as well. So that became a really fundamental passion of mine. Honestly, in 2012 is when I first started. I was still, it was even before I got to Viacom, I started a blog where I talked about how to be successful at work through the lens of rap lyrics. So <laughs> true, to, very true. It was called C-Suite Swag. So the idea of reaching for the C-Suite, I would say, I thought about that more than I thought about entrepreneurship. I thought about how to get more leadership that looked like me. I remembered my excitement when I first had a black woman boss or how excited I would feel when I had an opportunity to talk to a black executive and like all these hopes and all these dreams and possibilities that didn't exist before I would meet these people would just come alive within me. And I wanted more access to that for other people in the workforce that looked like me and had stories like mine. Yes, you're so right. When I would see a black woman who was just dressed sharp, stomping through the office, I was like, who's that? I've got to find a way to talk to her. (laughs) How did you get here? How do I get there? So you start C-Suite Swag and where does it go from there? When does it develop? When does it, you know, evolve into C-Suite Coach? So I think this is really important because one of the the great parts of technology and content creation is it is a way to, I talk about branding, for instance, when I talk to working professionals sometimes, and that's a great way when you create content to establish your expertise and to get demand for people to want to have access to you. So it was a very small blog, but just from sharing it on my Facebook, I started to get opportunities. I would, so I would use rap lyrics and then I would post a picture of an outfit and the idea of like, let's rethink what it means to have the swag to get to the C-suite. It doesn't always have to be in a suit. We're young, we're people of color, we're fresh. Um, And this is the music that we're listening to when we go into these meetings where we're one of the only, like we're playing Jay-Z, we're playing Lil Wayne. Uh, So anyway... Through just doing that, through creating some content, I got invited to speak at a few different colleges and universities and put together programming around everything from how to connect when you have a lunch meeting with a potential. That was something that some of the students were going through. They would be invited to interviews on lunch meetings and feeling really intimidated by that. So it was primarily for students of color. Um, I got asked to do programming at Rhodes College at my uh, my own alma mater, Davidson, uh, and eventually it grew from there. More demand came and more requests for me to do speaking came. Wow. So you start getting requests for speaking and, you know, so you're certified side hustling at this point. Uh, yes. <laughs> when did you make the leap and, you know, how did you prepare for that? Yeah. Okay. So a few different things happened. One, when I was working full time and knowing that this was happening, uh, I asked for my manager to support me getting classes to certify me in coaching. So I got a certificate in coaching at NYU that was fully paid for by my company. This is important because a lot of companies have tuition reimbursement programs or they have other resources that you can take advantage of that can help with whatever your side hustle or whatever your dream is, you just have to frequently be able to make a business case for how this relates to your work. And depending on the company, sometimes there's rules like, okay, after we pay this $10,000 for you to go on this training, you have to stay with us for three months or for six months. So just be mindful of that. 
So I got Viacom to pay for this $10,000 certificate at NYU, which I was very happy about. Uh, And I started to think about what do I want to do with this coaching certificate? Do I leverage it into doing more one-to-one coaching? And now keep in mind, I was working with young CEOs of tech companies, um, Snapchat, all, all these other small companies. Social TV was a big thing at the time. And I was like, um, there's a book called Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? And yes. that's literally, <laughs> yeah, that's literally what I was thinking. I'm like, what's holding me back from launching a company and going out on my own? So I started to think about uh, scalability because one thing that's really important is making sure, and this is constantly the focus of my business now, making sure that it is not just me, that I can sell something that exists without me being present. So even when I think about the long-term strategy, I keep that in mind all the time. So I went with the idea of creating an app to connect coaches with diverse talent. In terms of how I actually made the leap to leave, Viacom was going through layoffs. And I think that your uh, gut will speak to you sometimes. I would come into work and layoffs are there. They can be life changing. They can be traumatic for people. They can really uh, not be a positive thing at all. And I was coming into work hoping that I would get laid off. And I knew Yeah. And when you're feeling like that, I was just like, I am not in alignment at all. You know, this is a terrible thing to wish upon myself as other people are struggling with that. So I had to like be honest with myself. And uh, our team was getting elevated. We moved from the COO to the CFO. And it seemed like my boss was positioning me to grow. He was asking me what additional responsibilities that I want to take on. We were having conversations about like me getting a higher title. Like there were all these things happening. And I felt like he was someone that, um, although I never could fully be my full authentic self still uh, respected me and supported my work. So I was just honest. We had a conversation about, uh, growth and I said, I need to get back to you and think about if I can take on this growth. Um, give me a day. And I came back the next day and I offered, to resign. I asked, or I shared that I would be resigning. And I said, look, it's not to do anything competitive at all. I'm not going to another company. I'm, I'm doing something that I'm passionate about and I'm starting something on my own. Um, and so it was a really interesting conversation. Uh, it was great to have the, that trust because I think that even now when I connect with my old team, uh, they're very, still very supportive. And if anything, I feel like I could always rely on them to give me whatever sort of recommendation or endorsement because I was very open. I was very honest and I wasn't, um, I didn't want to string them along and then just leave suddenly when I felt like they were positioning me for growth. So I feel like that integrity is really important. Now, let's break this down a bit. I think, first of all, that's incredible. And that's awesome that you were able to just be upfront with your boss. Now, I know that you were really taking the time to do that self-reflection, but had you started to financially prepare for entrepreneurship? Did you have like the shape of what your business would be at this point? Yes, yes, and no. (laughs) Okay, so um, in terms of financially preparing, I got myself out of student loan debt. My master's was free, thank you, Jesus, but my undergrad was not. Um, So I did have quite a bit of debt, and I made sure that I was completely done paying off student loans before I even thought of it. I also was living in a place for New York City that had very manageable rent. So I decided to, you know, we all have the hopes and dreams of 
living in the corner penthouse apartment, whatever, I lived humbly still. So I, I did that uh, even preparing to leave and then definitely after leaving. I lived in Morningside right by Columbia in a non-renovated apartment, but with really, really cheap rent and I had a roommate. So that was really important, um, making sure that I could afford and I really was clear on how much it cost me to live every month. Um, I saved quite a bit of money, paid off all my credit cards. Like that was all really important. My credit score was awesome when I quit. There were some pieces that were all the way fleshed out. So I made contact with the developer that I wanted. Um, I made sure like I had a website build. I had things in place already uh, when I was when I quit. And also when I handed in my resignation, my boss, we had that kind of relationship. He negotiated with me. He asked me if I could stay through the summer. So I stayed way longer than my two weeks. And that was also helpful because it was like, okay, here's some more money to be stacking up as I'm planning for my exit. In terms of the parts that I didn't work out, I launch as much as I knew about the digital space. I knew about that from the client side, um, being on the part where I'm really the, the part that's going to help give revenue to these small tech startups, right? Not really thinking about what they went through to get investments or to get their business in the place where they even could pitch big businesses like ESPN and Viacom. So I think that there was definitely a gap of knowledge about that space, about what was needed had I, if I would have done it again or could have done it again, I would have made sure that I for sure had a co-founder. I think that would have really accelerated things, uh, elevated conversations and really got me the funding that I wanted to have. Um, and I think that I wish I would have known more about friends and family around. And I think there's this perception that that means you have to ask, you know, your mom and whoever else, your cousins, your friends. And when you come from an under-resourced community, that's really not accessible for most people, right? Right. But had I rethought it and thought about my network that I had built up over the past seven years working in these big corporate companies, then I would have perhaps asked people who had mentored me. I would have asked them for 10,000, like I would have made bolder asks than I did. And I think that could have changed the trajectory or accelerated things in a really different way. And that was the gap that I didn't have, that I didn't know about then. So I would say for someone who's in that space, um, whether you're starting an app or whatever kind of business you are, if you are in the corporate world, be really thoughtful about the network that you have right now and how you can make ask of that network. People would want to support uh, someone who they really believe in. And if they see your passion about it, and especially if you've done the work to build out your vision to a point where they believe that you'll be successful, $10,000 is nothing to some people, right? Um, they've made worse investments in their lives. So right. I would, <laughs> I would think um, about asking those folks there. So you're setting yourself up to succeed more because I ran out of cash, honestly, fairly quickly. Building an app is expensive and I had small uh, wins, you know, won a pitch competition, a few thousand dollars here and there. But when I was focused fully on growing that, it was a, not a path to revenue. It wasn't the programming model where I was getting paid and I would continue to speak for money, but that really wasn't the core of what I wanted to do. Hey guys, it's Nikayla with a quick word from our sponsor. Okay. I have a side hustle hack for all to hear, and it's called Skillshare. You want to know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. 
there's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial. And my go-to is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp, all through Skillshare. And now, Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. So you raised a couple of things I want to dissect a little bit. So first of all, you're so right about that friends and family round. We think that, you know, one, it's awkward, right? It's not something everyone, you don't really have experience until you do it. So it's awkward. And then two, you know, we think that people won't want to give money. But yeah, we go to these institutions for a reason, like tap into that network. So you started out with this app idea. Is that still a core part of your business or was that the initial part and you've since changed your revenue model? Yeah. So I have since changed my revenue model. I won't say that it's not a part of the business that I think about often. Um, and I will, I've, I've been very strategic about the relationships I'm building now to potentially there might be a comeback in a, in a different way with a different purpose, but that does um, include a level of technology that helps provide scalable coaching. I'll say that that's something that I've been quietly working on Um, But through the advice of investors um, who, you know, everyone was so friendly with me in this process, they just weren't giving up the coin. I think that... But I think that that was a learning for me too, right? Because every time you hear a no doesn't mean that um, the person that's telling you it is terrible. And it also doesn't mean that it's a full stop no. I do think that it's a not right now. And it was a not right now. But hopefully I did a good enough job at impressing them that when I come back with another idea, we have a, a good foundation. In any case, um, the, the advice that I got was think about the VC model doesn't have to be the case for solving every business and making sure you um, grow. You can also build a business through actually getting revenue. And when I focused on what I had been doing that was giving me money in the time that the app wasn't, it was really creating programs that offered value to companies, that offered value to the employees that went through it, um, through the programs at the different companies that I'd partnered with. So I thought more about building out that business and thinking more about content programming and also working on training other facilitators, other coaches to work alongside me. So that um, really has been the focus for about the last year and a half, building out. So last year, almost exclusively, all of my revenues came from doing programming with companies and partnering with companies to provide programming for their employees. That solved some of the challenges because it helped me meet my my goal, my need of working with diverse people of color and giving them access to uh, coaching philosophies, giving them access to things they needed to succeed at work, but it didn't put the onus on that employee or that individual to pay, and the app did. So that was a big shift as well, moving from a B2C focus to a real B2B focus. Um, And there's also just a lot more money in that, frankly, in this space of professional development. 
So when you go in and you partner with a company, how long are those sessions and what kind of information are you providing the employees? Like, can you tell us a little bit more about what the C-suite coach does? Yes. So it can really vary. In the last year, there's been a demand for all types of programming, and there's a level of customization that I'll do with each client. So there might be a demand, for instance, for our uh, audience is really struggling with business communication. They don't know like some of the basics around um, how to articulate their value at work, how to make sure every the, the goal is to get more people of color promoted, keep them retained, keep them engaged at work. So they may be struggling with a particular t- area in that sense. So making sure that they walk away with some outcomes that relate to that. Um, so that's a really popular talking about uh, effective business communication, how to articulate your business value. So when you're prepared and going, so you are prepared when you're going into meetings for annual reviews. Uh, but there's also been a great demand for trainings around resilience. Um, unfortunately, in all different industries that I've worked in, employees of color. So it's, it's an interesting space. Um, employees of color are frequently feeling they're losing engagement because they're dealing with so much uh, microaggressions is a popular term. I think about it as like many traumas that happen on a day-to-day basis that yes. really isolate you um, and quiet your voice, which is really needed in a lot of corporate settings. So last year, for instance, I presented to about 4,000 working professionals and simultaneously through a partnership with Google, which we can also talk about, um, presented to about 2,500 New York City-based diverse business owners. When I talked to the working professionals, so many of them, and these are also all diverse people, so many of them uh, are saying, I'm so frustrated at work. I don't want to participate anymore. I want to leave and launch something new. So the thesis that I've gathered being in these two communities is that, yes, you know, there's a lot of innovation in our community and all of that. But the reason why African-American women are the fastest growing business segment is because we are so unhappy at work. And that's what I'm seeing. Um, Having worked with business owners, I think it's very important that people don't leave before they're ready. They don't leave without a plan. Yes. That they don't leave really with themselves set up to succeed. And I think that a lot of people are so frustrated that they're leaving prematurely and they may have the passion for whatever it is that they're interested in, but you have to have a different level of passion to run a business uh, because there's a lot that just like at work, everything isn't exciting that you do. All of the aspects of working, I have to like take a deep breath or like my mom and I were talking about this yesterday, say a Bible verse just to get myself mentally prepared for some of the things that I have to do that I'm not excited about. But if I don't do them, I won't you know, be able to operate, right? right. Like my business won't run. So I think that part is important knowing that even though, you know, you may not have to deal with uh, that annoying coworker touching your hair or making that <laughs> annoying all lives matter comment to you anymore, you're still going to have to deal with other uncomfortable situations. Exactly. You're still going to have to deal with devel- developing new skill sets uh-huh. that you thought you would never have had to need. And so many people would, um, even like when I go to happy hours or I'm networking, will say things like, so do you just like wake up every day and do whatever you want? <laughs> <I'm just laughs> right. Like, 
like, no, like, no you have to choose your pain. It's like you could, you know, you could either be sent an email with all these miscellaneous things that you need to do from an employer, or you could have to do it for yourself and say, okay, this is what we have to do today. I don't want to, but it needs to happen. Yeah. 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 So that part is just really important because I'm, I've been really fortunate to be alongside both diverse communities, those in the working world and in the business owner world in the last year. And that juxtaposition has just made a lot of things really clear to me in terms of what's missing and what's needed. So that being said, now that's what's been happening for the last year. Now the primary way that I work with companies is in a two-part training because what I realized after about a year and a half of doing these trainings with diverse talent is I we can work on uh, you know how you improve your contributions at work all day long if your manager for various reasons doesn't see you as leadership potential or doesn't connect with you and is therefore not providing you with opportunities, there's still a missing piece to the puzzle. So I'm continuing to do uh, programs and now it's moving towards one very specific program with employees at work, but now also adding in a leadership and inclusive management program for leaders of diverse teams as well. This is incredible. This is awesome. Like, you have really taken on something that needs to be discussed and are forging ahead and breaking new ground. Now, how do you go about finding your B2B clients and establishing your authority and the fact that you are the person who should do this training and not some management consulting firm? Oh, yes. Okay. So one of the things that I've done is I've had to flex. I'm a I'm very friendly for sure, but I'm definitely a little bit more of an introverted personality. And I think that when I left corporate America and I had, I was working with great companies, ESPN, Viacom, I remember I would go to South by Southwest and ask a question and I just would say my company name. Then there would be a line of people wanting to speak with me. When you're launching a business, when you've started something new, you don't necessarily have that big brand behind you, right? That gives you that instant credibility and that instant now people want to talk to you. And networking at the beginning was really, really hard. I felt like even when I was trying to decompress after long days, all people wanted to talk about was what's going on with your business. And it would get really frustrating and really draining at times. And someone who, uh, one of my close friends put it to me like this, he was just like, use this as an opportunity to be constantly working on your pitch, constantly bouncing back. And um, when people are giving you shade or when people have questions, redefining how you connect and, and really um, strengthening how you get people excited and energized about the work you do. And that shift in perspective was really great for me because I know I no longer dreaded it. I looked at it as an opportunity. So networking has really been crucial, making sure you have to be very decisive because when you are running a business, you have a finite amount of time, right? And limited resources. And so I think more about which events I'm going to go to, making sure I'm at the right places that have folks who are in the HR space or the diversity inclusion space. That's typically my first entry point into a company and thinking about how to make sure I'm showing up and being at the places where they are as well. So that's the first piece. Um, if you are introverted, really flex. You have to, as a business owner, and be that salesperson, and maybe a shift in perspective can help. Uh, in terms of establishing cred credibility, I think that it happens over time, and each year it, or each even month 
after the previous partnership, the next partnership becomes a lot easier to get, right? So the more you build up your client base, the more clients will follow. Writing in this space has helped a lot. I contribute to a diversity inclusion blog, um, being on the circuit, being on panels and having people be able to see what you're about and what you present. Uh, and also just reviews, collecting data about your past programs. That has been a key selling point for me as well. And then I just think that the last thing is everybody isn't your perfect customer or the right client for you and truly innovative companies that want to solve these problems. So in my space, for instance, that's what I'm looking for that are really going to uh, afford the budget, afford the, the resources to make changes happen within their company culture. They're really open to hearing all sorts of ideas. And I think that if you know the work that you do, so for instance, I'm constantly training, I'm training on instructional design. I'm training on impact metrics for my programs. I'm constantly investing in myself to be better at what I provide. And when you do that, you know that you're credible and right. you attract the right people that want to work with you. And the people that don't, they're not, they're usually not your right client for whatever reason. And that has helped give me confidence in the pitch. Now, two things about that. And then I want to move into the Google digital coaching, but one, mm -hmm. so are you sending out cold pitches when you first started? Were you just approaching companies and now is it yes. more of a network thing? Yes. Okay. Yes. So when I first started, I literally would keep spreadsheets of a variety of different categories. I would go through my LinkedIn, point out who was the contact at each different company. Uh, and, and I was really lucky for the first year to have a part-time person working with me. That helped a lot because this, she really got the grounding started on this, right? So who was the point of contact? I had materials that I sent out. I even sent mail packages <laughs> with different, uh, quotes from pre and, and survey data from previous programs I'd done. And even I would do a few things for free in the very beginning. And when I did, my ask was, look, I need video, I need photo, and I need you to write a review on LinkedIn or some a review somewhere else where I can use this quote, but they were from the right kinds of people. And that then helps. So now it is more of a networking thing. When someone uh, wants my card or I connect with someone, there already is that footprint of, of proof, right? And that has helped a lot. So it, it started with a lot of pitching, a lot of outreach, constant phone calls, some that went nowhere. But really, uh, there would be the people that would say, this sounds interesting to me. Let's try it. And then that builds up a client base where now more are coming. Okay. And so the second part was, I was wondering who coaches you? You touched a little bit on the training, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, how are you continuing to grow? Yeah. So in a few different ways, and it's funny that you asked that because this morning I was texting my coach again. <laughs> so training is really important because there's a lot of innovation happening in this space when there's a lot of different ways you could look at the space. You can call it talent development. You can call it professional development. You can call it diversity and inclusion and retention work. So there's really a lot of different buckets that it can fit in. But across the board, it, there's innovation happening. There's a demand for e-learning. There's a demand for more just innovation in how people learn because technology has, it, it has really evolved everything. So that's areas where I'm constantly having to get fresh on. So investing in my own training has been important. And then the other part of it is, yes, leveraging coaches, leveraging mentors. Um, I uh, have been coached by a woman named Robin who 
the first time we connected, my mom, it was, I think it was my quarter century birthday when I was 25. My mom was like, you need a coach. <laughs> uh, and this is going to, and it was expensive. And she was like, just so you know. And at first I was like, what the heck? Like, give me money for rent. What is this? Um, she was like, this is going to be your birthday gift and your Christmas gift and part of your next birthday gift. <laughs> um, but having an opportunity, and this is, that was a critical part of me being able to flesh out my vision and also realize that I could be bold, realize that I could have agency in my own life was having that person who was my accountability partner being along my side, having a really transparent conversation where it was almost like a mirror was being held up to me and I couldn't lie anymore about anything that I felt inadequate about. I couldn't lie anymore about what it was I truly wanted out of life. I had to be honest. And that really uh, pushed my process along of getting me to realize that I wanted to start my own business. So that's been really critical. And we have regular lunches and sometimes uh, we'll engage in engagements again. So that is helpful. And then formalized uh, and unformalized mentorship opportunities I take advantage of as well. So now let's talk a little bit more about this Google digital coaching that you do. First of all, how did you get involved with that and what does it entail? Okay. So networking again is really the key source of so many opportunities. And, uh, I can't like not stress that enough, uh, especially because we're all so busy. I don't know a person who, isn't busy at this day and age. Uh, Technology has made us even busier. No one ever wants to put their phone down and we're all overwhelmed. And so sometimes taking on meetings when people would reach out to me was a stressful thing, being able to say, yes, um, we should spend time together. But I really do try to. And even without an agenda or an objective. For me, I prefer not to have one and just get to know people sometimes. And so that's what I did with this woman who had heard me speak at a conference and asked to meet with me. And we had a great conversation. I walked away just feeling awesome. And it wasn't uh, too deep into my business or, or her, uh, what she was going after. It was really just us truly connecting. Long story short, she gets this opportunity from Google and she says, I've been connecting with them. They reached out to me about this opportunity. It doesn't sound right for me. I think it's right for you and shared it with me. Uh, And I call this like your peers acting as your sponsors, because I think a lot of times if you, you know, the framework of sponsors is someone that can offer you a game changing opportunity is usually someone who's very senior in a lot of ways in this day and age, our peers can also be the ones who can offer us those game changing opportunities. And that's what she did. So I had a call about this Google Digital Coaches program, having a foundation in coaching and a strong passion for it. I was like, what is this about? Could this be an opportunity to engage with their employees and coach at Google? Let me find out. And it was really different. Um, It wasn't for their internal employees, but the whole theme of it was about creating more access to Google tools that can grow businesses that usually typically 
in our communities we don't have access to because of a, a, a lack of understanding of technology for a variety of reasons. It's not as accessible as it should be. And so while I wasn't drawn in with the audience initially, I was really drawn in with that shared purpose of really closing a gap. That's, that's what my personal life mission is about. So a little bit different than the mission of C-Suite Coach. So I decided to take it on. It's, um, it was a low commitment in terms of number of hours. So it didn't really detract from C-Suite Coach so much that I could say I'm not going to do it, but very high impact work. And that's what I really appreciated about it. It's been an opportunity for me to have access to a lot of different business owners within my community that are hungry for resources and feel, frankly, pretty ignored often by larger companies when it comes to having their needs met. Uh, and what's really interesting is there's so much variety in the types of business owners that come. It's not always just the I'm starting an app or I'm launching a, a blog or a website. It's sometimes the mom and pop shops that have legacy in business. They've been running their bodegas or their local pizza shops, barber shops for 20, 30 years. But as neighborhoods are changing, if you're not on Google, so for instance, if I can't research your business quickly and I'm a newcomer to a new neighborhood, I don't know who you are. <laughs> And therefore, I'm going to pick the business that probably is the newer business, uh, but I can find all the information about them because that new business is really tech savvy and knows how to get a listing on Google Maps. And they know how to make sure they appear at the top of search results. So because customers are making so many of their decisions based off of what happens in their search results, that can really be uh, something that negatively affects business owners who aren't on search, who aren't high on the listings. And frequently they aren't just because they don't know how to be. Speaking of don't know how to be. So let's take a minute and like, what are some of the top tips that you want to make sure every business owner, you know, especially mm -hmm. with a physical location knows yes. about and is making sure that they utilize with the Google tools? Okay. So for anyone with a physical location or that's operating in a service area. So an example of that would be if I were to go on site just within the five boroughs or just within the borough of Manhattan to offer coaching. So, or I'm a plumber, whatever the case might be. And I go on site, but I'm not going to California to do it. I'm only doing it within this zip code, that's a service area. So if you're a business that operates like that or has a storefront, you need a verified Google My Business listing. That's really important because that allows the business owner to control all of the information that comes out about them uh, in terms of if they change their hours, if uh, they're gonna suddenly be closed for a holiday, if they're having a special or a promotion, you as the business owner should control what people see about your business when they're coming to your business on maps. So that would be the first thing that I would say is really important for those uh, sorts of business owners that are operating locally. And then what about if you don't have a physical business? Are there some common tips that you find yourself giving to entrepreneurs as they start up their businesses? Yeah. And I would say this one um, extends beyond just Google. I think with a website in general, it's really important to be thoughtful about your customer journey and thoughtful about if you're building any sort of anything you're doing with your digital presence, whether that's on your website or on your social media or whatever, what do you want people to get out of this? And how does this tie back into the bottom line for you? Uh, that's really key because we're told frequently, these are the tactics. These are the things you need to have 
as a business owner, you need this on your website, you need this on your, you need a social media page, but not frequently thinking about uh, how to make sure that that investment is worth our time and drawing back to our business, helping us achieve our business goals. So I would say be thoughtful about what that customer journey is and are you leading them to a goal that helps your business grow at the end of the day, whether that's getting people to click to buy on your website or to contact you for a consultation or whatever the case might be. That's really key. Love it. All righty. Before we jump into the lightning round, I would love to know, so you touched on in the beginning that you are really intentional about thinking of a scalable business. And I'd love yes. to know how you're thinking of that in light of your speaking engagements. So I, yes. I read that you, you gave over 75 speeches last year. <laughs> Talk to me about this. Like, is this something you do um, for a revenue stream, for experience? And do you intend to continue to do that? And how do you see yourself scaling? Yes. So I do. Um, and I have. And that 75 number was just with Google, with C-Suite Coach. It was close to that as well. <laughs> um, so it's been a lot and it's been really exhausting. Uh, I've noticed a couple things for when I think about scalability is there's so much more content out there to create. When I go to these conferences, when I work to learn what are the new innovations in the industry and apply that uh, to what I'm already doing, there's an opportunity to create a lot of content. And I just frankly realize that I can't create as much as I want and really work on these programs as much as I want if I don't have help. So on my website, www.thecsuitecoach.com, there's a, an application for coaches and facilitators. And right now I'm vetting through those that have already applied and open to more people applying to work with me and be facilitators. And essentially I'll, I'll be training them on how to work within uh, the mission, within the philosophy of my company, make sure that they're good representatives uh, and you know, select the right people that have shared passions and shared missions for working with this audience and essentially be subcontracting them to work with me when I work with companies. So that's the biggest development for me. That's really exciting um, that that is going to be launching really soon in terms of the actual facilitators uh, working with different companies. And I'll no longer be the only presenter. Um, I'll have a team of presenters working with me uh, to really drive these goals and making sure more people of color get promoted at work and are retained by their companies. All right. That is awesome. So good luck with all of that. And you guys, now you know where to go to apply. Um, <laughs> so let's jump into the lightning round. So yes, number one, what is a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Leveraging the local libraries has been really important for me. Before I even left to start my business, I would go to Brooklyn Public Library. They have a bunch of resources and workshops for new business owners. And one of those was around how to create a business plan. And going through that was such a helpful process. Most libraries locally have some sort of business center and they're definitely underutilized, which means that whoever's working there has lots of time to help you and work with you. So I would say leveraging your local libraries is really key for free resources. Okay. Number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? Mm, the best business book that I have consumed this year would be called Super Normal. It's actually a gift from one of my clients by Dr. Meg Jay. And what I really liked about it is it focuses on the theme of resiliency. That's really key um, for anyone, business owner or not, but really realizing that 
what we often think that whatever traumatic or game-changing experiences we've had in life make us so, so different, but having difficulties and overcoming them is actually more normal than you think. And when you think about it from that perspective, it really helps you push forward. That's really key for business owners because you face a lot of rejection. Uh, I told you about that spreadsheet I had. <laughs> I will tell you, I've, I had a lot of people go forward and, and not close the deal with me. And that was frustrating. I even had people that didn't respond. So you have to be able to wake up every day and keep pushing through it, even when it feels like the walls are closing in and, and you got to just keep going. Yes. Number three, what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? Um, so this one, I would say, uh, is for me, my dog. Um, being able to have a routine. I got my dog midway through. Um, and there were some days where it's just frankly can be a struggle to wake up every morning. And um, it's a change to go from having a big team within a fortune 500 company to being a team of sometimes two, sometimes one. Uh, and that's been a challenge. So waking up every day with consistency, I'm someone that feeds off of natural sunlight, um, waking up every day with the consistency of going outside and, and seeing the sunlight to start my day has been extremely helpful and puts me in the right place in the, in, when I start my days. All right. Number four, who is a Black woman entrepreneur that you would want to trade places with for a day and why? Yes. Janice By uh, Byron Howroyd. She runs a billion dollar business that is in the staffing world. Um, and she, I want to see how she did it. I would love to trade places for her a day to see what that's my dream and my hope for C-Suite Coach, that I am a large corporation one day. And what is that lifestyle like for her? What are her concerns? How does she manage her thousands of staff members and employees? And being in that spot would be awesome. Love it. Okay. Number five, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing that steady paycheck? Prepa preparation is the best thing that I can say. Really prepare for it and prepare even in ways, um, ask the, the questions that aren't typically asked. Ask about how did you find the accountant you found? Ask the questions that aren't just about the day-to-day -day operations of uh, improving your product or your service, but really are more about um, how a business operates and runs. So you can be prepared for that when you leave your full-time job. So ask the questions about workman's comp and what does it mean to have a contractor and how do you make sure a contractor is not an employee and all the boring pieces. Ask those questions as much as you're asking about what drives you every day and all the exciting things about being an entrepreneur ask the non-exciting things as well. All right. And on that note, what is the best way that people can connect with you after this show? Uh, feel free to add me on Instagram, Facebook. My email addresses are, are on those profiles. And if you are someone that's passionate about the diversity inclusion space and has a knack for public speaking, for presenting, um, as well as if you've worked in the corporate space, I would love to talk to you about potentially being a presenter with me. And you don't have to be based in New York. I've been working with clients all across the country. So please apply on my website and let's stay in touch. And one more time. Time, drop that link for the folks. www.thecsweetcoach.com. All right, guys. And that will be in the show notes. And that is such a generous offer. So thank you for that. And with that, Angelina, thank you so much for being in the guest chair. Thank you. All right, guys. And there you have it. Hey, guys. 
Thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the Side Hustle Pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you.